Lazy people do a little work and think they should be winning, but winners work as hard as possible and still worry if they're being lazy. My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Competitor Nation. Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer. And that voice you heard kicking off the episode is today's guest, Charlotte 49ers Director of Strength and Conditioning, Louis Corella. You may be familiar with Coach Corella's work as he has gone viral on a number of Instagram videos, sharing his passion for helping his players get better, not only for football, but in life. Today, we got to sit down thanks to an introduction from 1720 podcast host Kevin Carey and former guest of the show. And Coach Corella and I talk about his journey. We talk about where the seeds of loving competition started from. We talk about the importance of being able to battle through adversity, to not expect to be at the top of your game from the start, but earning your start, earning your opportunities, and then being willing to change directions after you've done everything you can to succeed in that spot. We dive into his coaching career, dealing with having to move all over the country, keeping your mindset and remaining not only optimistic, but resilient after being fired. And what's that like? How does he balance that not only as a professional, but as a man, as a family member, as a husband, as a dad, and continue to bring out the best? We talk about a number of things in terms of leading others. How do you invest in the relationship of the people you're trying to lead, the people you're trying to coach up, and why that's the foundation before you can ever hold them accountable. Coach Corella gets into a variety of things, willingly sharing his story, and even best yet, stay till the end, he shares the worst workout he's ever done. And for those of you that live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, maybe a few of you that went to the University of North Texas in Denton, you're going to know exactly what he talks about when he mentions the workout. So strap in, get ready for one motivating episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To support the show, all you got to do is two things. One, share this episode. If you know somebody that is in to Coach Corella's content, loves his motivation online, loves content similar to that, share this episode with them. Introduce them to the Compete Every Day culture, podcast, everything that we're doing here to help leaders just like yourself be known for creating results. Results in your life, results in your relationships, results in your career. Because we know what? Society is all about talk. It's all about flash. It's all about image. And we want to be a culture of individuals known for creating consistent results. The second easy way to join the show, just join our Morning Motivation Club. All you got to do is text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. 
9113. You'll get one to two texts a week from me to help you start the day focused, motivated, ready to go attack the day and win it instead of being like the rest of society, just going through the motions and wasting the opportunity to get better and whatever that day holds. So join our Morning Motivation Club and get started today. Now, buckle in, get ready, get fired up, because here comes my man, Coach Lewis Corella. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this. I uh, truly appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Shout out to Kevin Carey for the introduction on this. Kevin's been on the show and been fortunate to be on his a few times. But man, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, like a lot of people, I learned about you when one of your videos went viral on Instagram uh, all around winning and kind of that Tim Grover mentality of of winning doesn't really matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what you were born. You just got to show up, keep going. Some days you're going to play your best and win. And some days you're going to play your best and lose. And, and how do you respond to that? I want to dive back a little bit into your story. And I'm curious from just a competitive side. I know you played college ball. I know you were in and around the game of football, which I love so dear. But what do you remember of like your earliest memories of like loving competition and being able to compete? Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Tampa and played football since I was eight. And it was really started in the neighborhood. It was like, you know, the only thing we did was go outside and get the game going in the street. We'd have 20 kids or 15 kids playing pretty hardcore football in the street. I mean, the sidewalks were out of bounds and it was uh, it was just fun. And, you know, I think it was everything it was wasn't just football, it was basketball, it was uh, it was baseball, it was, you know, hockey in the street, whatever it was, it was boxing under the streetlights. Um, everything we did we loved to compete video games it didn't matter and you wanted to win like if you lost a video game it was like you kind of had this pit in your stomach the whole night like it yep. didn't feel so that kind of carried over to everything I did and um, I just I love playing sports and I loved working hard to earn my spot and and respect in sports yeah, I want to ask you about that. I, I was fascinated listening to you talk a little bit in another interview about your playing career and how the expectations you had going into playing, I believe, running back in college. Reality was a little bit different with injuries and, and other things that hit you. And so I'm curious mentally how you handled that process, uh, because I know at that age, I would have, I was not mature enough to handle the setback after the setback and, and disappointment. And so talk to us a little bit about your freshman kind of through senior year and then your mentality going through some of those setbacks and adversities. Yeah. So I, you know, grew up, I was playing uh, quarterback and I was playing quarterback in high school, but we ran the ball a lot. You know, I was an option quarterback and I quarterback was a great excuse for me to find more open lanes to run. And that's, that's what I love to do. So had a lot of yards rushing my senior year and it was uh I, I got recruited to play quarterback at the d2 and d3 level which i was so happy with you know i, I just wanted to keep playing quarterback and uh, keep making plays but once i got to college west virginia wesleyan at first it was um you know there was nine quarterbacks <laughs> i was like <laughs> all right this is and there and there were drop back and you know stay in the pocket kind of play so this has to change quick so i i moved to slot receiver real quick and I was going to start my freshman year, but um, my shin splints over time took over and I cracked it uh, to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. So 
Uh, that year was gone. The second year, I moved to running back, and I was going to actually, I did start my second game that year. Second play of the game, though, sprained MCL, uh, took a hit the wrong way. Played to the third quarter on adrenaline and, and just figured it out. And then I couldn't walk pretty much the rest of that year. So then the third year, uh, I was being told, I mean, I'm going to be this, that. I'm going to be in this package, that package, quarterback package, running back, all that. And I ended up playing 17 plays that whole year. It was just a big old uh, uh, disappointment. And I think the health, it was funny, I was healthy, but that year hurt the most. And it it get, got me to a point in my life where I, re I realized at that moment I'd be quitting if I stayed. And I knew I, I knew what I could do. I knew what I did my whole life. And I just wanted to get back to that point in my life of just enjoying the game of football and playing and it didn't matter where. So I transferred because if I'd stayed there, I would have been quitting. And, and that's where I got all the, the things that I dreamed of. And that like, I, when I transferred, I had a complete purpose of where I was going, who I was, what I stood for, what I had to get done. When I was entering college, I didn't really feel like that kind of guy yet. So, you know, I had determination, but I didn't really know who I was. But um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what took it off. And uh, that that kind of made me have genuine advice to give a lot of kids these days, too. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that before we got into the coaching career, because today, I mean, you feel like guys immediately show up on campus, expect to start when they don't, they transfer. And I know that's not everywhere, but you hear about it a lot. And so as someone who stuck through multiple years of injury, the setback your junior year and disappointment there before transferring. How do you as a coach in today's game continue to pour into guys the importance of, of literally building that perseverance, that resilience to stick through and earn those spots versus expecting just because you were the big man on campus and high school and, you know, wherever in the USA doesn't mean it's going to be the same as soon as you step on campus here. Yeah, I, I tell them the real advice that they need is it's that's the exact opposite thing waiting for you in life after you get out of here. So, you know, football right now in college, it's like, you know, you don't get your way, get out. It, it's not that's not real. That's not life. And and you get in a fight with your wife, you're going to fail. You, you get uh, in an argument with your kids, you're going to disown them like you can't just run away from problems. And I give them my story i give him my you know i didn't bail the second it got tough I, in fact it got so tough i i came back and was better the next year and, I, and then i came back and i was better the next year and then i was out of my control but once it's out of your control i think then you got to make a decision but if, if unless you've done everything possible in your power like have you made it really awkward in practice for coaches to not play you because of how hard you're going because until then I really would rather not hear you talk. And th those are real conversations I have with kids. Like you can go, it's not going to be any different anywhere else. Like even when I transferred, it wasn't like this magic carpet rolled out for me. I had to earn respect. I knew nobody. It was a complete chance and bet on myself. And if you don't know what you stand for, when you go somewhere else, you're going to get carried with the wind any way it takes you. And you're probably going to end up in disappointment. Absolutely. I'm curious where you learned that. Like, where do you remember learning that you got to stick through hard stuff? It, it was the belief I had in myself. I played this game my whole life. I loved it. I, I was in my mind, I was a good player and I could do things on the field that I felt like 
should be out there. And I just, that, that, that my high school coach talked to me. He's like, you just got to get back to being you, man. You got to get back to just loving it. And I didn't love it because every time I tried to get into the game, my first three years in college, I was playing scared. If I made a mistake, I'd get benched. If I, you know, messed up in practice, I wouldn't play. Like that's no way to play the game. And that's what a lot of kids are going through right now. And I think I can relate to that with the mindset I'd had that I wish these kids didn't have. And I can coach them through it because now, like, I don't get my way, my career, you kidding me? Like the ups and downs that I've faced and, and the setbacks and the dis, like disrespect people have shown me, like it's been the same way as my playing career. It's just, I turned it into a positive by betting on myself and thinking that I do belong. Yeah. I'm curious about that mentality you just shared of going through, cause it, it obviously is, is who you are. I can very much see that. What made you decide to go into coaching and take us kind of through this journey of, cause there's a lot of guys that play that don't step into that coaching arena. Um, but you have, and, and you've been all over the country and, and had an opportunity to influence a lot of young men. So what was kind of the spark to go into coaching and then take us through this journey? Because for a lot of people just learning about you, this was not a quick overnight trip to where you are now. Yeah. So I, you know, when I transferred, that's kind of when my career started too. So like a, a guy that, um, used to train me a little bit in high school on the side. He asked me one day, I was in Ohio playing, Hey, would you be interested in when you come home to Tampa this summer to do an internship with the South Florida bulls? You know, you work for free, but you get to learn under a strength coach and all that. And at the time that was the most intimidating thing I ever heard. You know, like, why would I go help a division one team when I'm just a D three guy? And it was, it was kind of intimidating. I almost didn't do it because of how, uh, unrealistic it felt to me, but then I, I went through with it and I, I got accepted into the program and that whole process woke me up to something that I never even thought of before. Like, I didn't know I could be a strength coach. I didn't even know that was a career. Was and, someone, I'm, I'm curious for you, keep going. Was there someone that pushed you, encouraged you to take it like almost to where like pushing you out of the nest of like, if you've got that fear of like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this, that kind of forced you to take it. My wife now, she, she was my girlfriend then. And she's like, you can always like my, my biggest goal I had was, uh, you know, go back to my high school and be a PE coach and high school coach. You know, that's what I thought I would just end up being. And she's like, you can always go and do something like that if you want, but if you, want to coach why not try to go as high as you can and I went for it so uh she was she was the one that pushed and Love. and it was a good idea she didn't realize we'd be moving 10 times across <laughs> and I'd be getting fired every other year or high somewhere but um but yeah so that happened and then you know a long story short like I, that internship sold me because that's all I wanted to do I had two years to play in college still while I did that internship. Um, got me way ahead. That next summer I moved to Virginia and did another free internship. I, I came home to Tampa and then I moved to Virginia with my girlfriend. And those people, those two guys I worked for, put a platform underneath me that kind of skyrocketed quick and everything took off from there. I love it. And so you've gone multiple stops over the last decade. And, and as you mentioned, 
Uh, you've been fired a few times. I'm curious about, and it's probably back to your playing mentality, how you made sure two things. One, who you were as a person, as a leader, wasn't just completely destroyed when you were fired. And two, how did you make sure that the disappointment of it not working out in one place bleed into the next? And I ask because like we have a lot of people listening in, in corporate America that and they get fired from an opportunity, the, the attitude and the disappointment of that can bleed into their next one, which causes that next one not to work because they start bringing the bad attitude and the disappointment from the last place. You have continued to grow throughout your career. So I'm curious how you, one, didn't get too low of low, and then were able to have those fresh starts mentally each place you started. Yeah. So I feel like I learned under really good people. Like I was an assistant for years and the three guys like that I really like, learned a lot from, they they were kind of always my North Star and who to look up to. And when I got my first head job, it was a dream for me. Like I came off of three years being an assistant at University of Michigan. I was ready to go in my heart. I was, I was fired up. And I go to North Texas and we, you know, 11 months later, we're let go. You know, it, it, that to me, it was like, I did everything I dreamed of. I did everything in my power to help that team. And we were the worst team in America. And it's like, okay, um, my wife's pregnant. We have a baby due in two weeks when the health insurance is just about to cut off. And I don't know where I'm going. And I don't know how I'm going to get a job. I don't have an agent. All this stuff's happening. So how do I not let it frustrate me? Not going to lie, it frustrates me. It frustrates me, frust frustrates me that other people have control over my destiny and that I can't do anything more than I try to do. It, that, that part does always bother me. And But when I get an opportunity, I almost use all that anger that I had towards positivity. And I'm going to make the biggest difference I've ever made in my life for people at this next spot. And I'm going to go all in again and do everything I learned and do it even better. And then two years later, I was fired. And it's like, for nothing, like I say fired, but like, it's nothing like that I did to kids or anything that I could control. It's just, you don't win enough games. Yeah. So they change out coaching staffs. Everybody goes. Yeah. Right. So again, that one really hurt. And I'm like sitting there thinking, I don't know what else to do like this was always plan a i never really thought of a plan b and i guess we could open our own gym and all that but i gave it one more shot and i had a chance at buffalo and then and the same thing i i went into that program as hard as i could with positive energy and we just happened to have a great team ready to go and we broke every record there and was named national strength coach of the year it's like if if that award was handed to me after my first year of being a head guy, I would think I have all the answers. But since it came after so much struggle and so much disappointment, it meant the absolute world because it just shows you again, if you believe in yourself, even when people don't believe in you, you got a great opportunity to succeed. Absolutely, you do. I have a few other questions I want to ask you about that. But one that just stuck out in my head was I've got friends that coach at the college level, the high school level, and the, the constant moving. Because you're moving as you move up, you move when coaching staffs get cleaned out. None of the guys are head coaches, so similar to you, if they don't win enough games, they're they're moving on. How do how do you handle it? Because I know as a coach, we just talked about, but as a husband and a dad, 
how do you handle and manage that process? Because I think about like just the constant change in having the, usually the home be in the place where you can escape. You can find that anchor, that reset. So how have y'all been able to manage that chaos of all of the moves as you laughed 10, t- 10 times all over the country she wasn't ready for? Yeah, I mean, it's all goes back to my wife. She's the one that holds it all together with the kids. And it, it, before it was a lot easier when they were younger. They really didn't grab like what was going on. Um, this one was the hardest one by far, not even close. Uh, we, we, because it was where we lived the longest we've ever lived. So four years at a place, it's like 20 years in coaching. So, um, hard to explain to your kids, hard to explain to your wife. And I'm, I'm thankful. My wife has been with me since the first internship because she knows how this goes. She understands the politics in it. She gets the whole game, but that doesn't make it any easier for your kids that have best friends on the baseball team for four straight years. And you got to explain to them that I'm ripping you out of here, buddy. And we got to go. That that's getting really old. And I don't know how much more I can do that, but it's, um, it's one of those things that proves your resiliency and it proves that you can get through a lot if you just stay together. And I think, we have this thing at home uh, up on our fridge. It says uh, home is wherever we're together. And I think that's the truth with, with being in this career. If you want to go for it, go for it. But if you're not ready for this adversity, don't do it. Um, because I've, I, I wish I could protect them with security and I can't. And I've been chasing this passion and this purpose that I have uh, with this game that I love, but, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do with my family. And I, it's just not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I as knowing coaches, kids and knowing coaches, I, I can agree. I like to think I just finished a book talking about kind of the focus and how the world is, our focus is all under attack between social media and everything else. And one of the things they talked about were kids and, and kids resiliency specifically. And like you, you, you grew up similar to I did, like we're playing sports in the street, in the yards every day. Let's set up a game. We determine the rules and kind of the skills that come with it. And when I think about what you were just sharing as, as heartbreaking as I know that is for your kids and the move, the skills they're learning from being able to build new friendships and relationships at each start is something that kids that never leave a space don't have to do. They have the same friends all the way growing up. The other thing is, as you said, your kids play sports. Like I grew up in a small town in Texas. Like I knew the kids I played with and a couple of the little small towns around us. But when you start moving into different cities and you know, you're going to Atlanta area and Charlotte and they're getting a look at different athletes. So they're getting a chance to learn and play against different competition that long-term even life after sports puts them in a really good spot um, and so I, I just wanted to encourage you with that good side of it as, as I know that's a difficult challenge for them, but the skills they're developing is such a powerful one that gives them, I think, a competitive advantage in the long game of life, which is really what it's all about. I mean, that's why we play sports, right? We love it, but it's the lessons we learn and how it sets us up to succeed afterwards. There's no you question. Are, yeah. So, I'll just add, go ahead. No, yeah. I just wanted to add real quick, like you're exactly right. And like my son, for example, was on a baseball team in Georgia who that was very good. And, but I consider my son to be a good baseball player, but you know, he would bat ninth 
we would get him pitching and coaching, uh, pitching and hitting help on the side. And he would, you know, try to keep up with everyone on that team because they were really good. But we came here and we got him right on a new team. And right now he's the leadoff hitter, starting pitcher, starting shortstop. So it's like, okay, now he plays a new role in life. Like now he's being counted on. Like he's not just kind of the guy that we're waiting to get to the top of the order again. He's that dude. And I'm happy that he gets to experience both because of the humbleness. And then also the competitive fire you need to have to stay at the top. And I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, no, I, I, la- so I'm a, I'm a TCU grad and I was listening to uh, one of our players talk after the national championship game, which was a massacre by the Bulldogs. And he said, we were good, but he said that exposed me to a different level of play. So that now that is my standard. The team we played against against Georgia is my standard of what it means to be great. And so thinking about with your son, like he had a standard of excellence in Atlanta that's very different now in Charlotte. And so how does he continue, as you said, stay at the top, maintain like I'm good here, but I'm playing at that level. I'm trying to maintain and get to that level, sets him up into that constantly pursuit of greatness which is really what matters of not being comfortable when you're at the top. And I know I've read one of the things you do with a lot of your guys is, is it uh, what is it? The hungriest and then yeah. hungry and then satisfied. And you do these off season trainings. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause I loved just kind of the brief bit I saw on it. Yeah. So there's a hunger board, three categories of effort, uh, starving, hungry, or satisfied. And we, it has nothing to do with how talented you are. If we, as a group, staff think that you are getting the most out of your teammates on the rack you come in with a full uh full energy positive you're you're staying late you're you're here early you're always doing the right stuff we think you're starving your your name's going to be on that list and those are the guys you win with if if you're the guy that is just you know doing everything we ask but then you leave when everyone else leaves you're hungry you're average and then if you're the guy that is constantly showing up on lists that are late, uh, you, you know, you don't care. You don't show that you care. Uh, you got bad body language. You're satisfied. And if, when that list comes out and the whole team looks at it and all their coaches get a copy of it, then it gets personal. And you got to have real conversations with guys that think that they are doing a great job. And what we see is the opposite in some of them. So and, and it could be a thing which is very helpful. Guys think they're just working hard. It's not enough, man. Like you got to have positive energy with other people too. And it's, it's not okay. If you just stay in your little shell, this is a team. Like we need more out of you to help others. Those are sometimes tough conversations to have. And I I know you've talked about kind of hard coaching is a good thing because it means you love somebody enough to hold them accountable to a standard how do you develop the relationship with your guys first so that you can have those tough conversations and know it's going to land much differently than someone who's built no rapport, no relationship with them? Yeah, that's a hundred percent. If you have no relationship with the kids, you got no chance to coach them at all. And this is my fifth head job. And every kid I've ever coached, I've interviewed before I coach them. And it's 25 questions about their life. And I just listen and I type up what they say. And it's very informative. It's very helpful for me. It's very healthy for them because they get to kind of vent and just explain stuff that probably 
No one ever asked them before. And they're the most basic questions. And it's just, what's the biggest obstacle you've overcome? Uh, who's the most important person in your life? You know, what, what's, uh, where'd you grow up? Who's at home? Like all this stuff accumulates to an idea of who you have every day. And that's been one of the most valuable things I've done with teams because so many coaches forget about that. It's X and O, it's my scheme, my program, my cookie cutter way, or you got to go. That's not the way it works. And I never thought it, I never thought it was the way it worked. I would never want to listen to a coach that demanded stuff of me that never tried to get to know me. Like, so all, look, all I'm trying to be to these kids is someone I would want my son coached by or daughter. And that's the way I think the whole thing even gets started. No one cares if I was here, here, or here as a coach. They might listen at first to see what you're going to say to them or, or care maybe for a second, but it all goes back to you just caring about them and how can you help them. 100%. What, what brings you the most pride as a coach? Oh, um, getting that text, you know, just say I do get let go, right? But getting those texts that you would never expect from guys you never thought would ever say it. Like, coach, I, I just want to say, like, maybe I didn't hear you all the time, but I felt you. And the times I needed you the most, you were there for me. And that kind of stuff, it, it, it goes beyond getting guys faster or stronger or tougher. It goes beyond uh, just a normal relationship. Like we go through a lot together. We spend a lot of time together. And I think those kind of texts are like the, the, why, the why behind my whole purpose of why I keep chasing this thing. Because I love helping guys get through a lot of things that they got to get through. Absolutely. And a lot of those guys getting through those things are never going to play at the next level. And so how do you help them? get through those things and understand that they can do the same things in life and continue yeah, to do those things in life. Exactly. Like these jerseys behind me, like all these yeah. things, like th these guys didn't send me their jersey and sign it and say, thank you because I got them uh, stronger. Like you think that's why they even talk to me still. It's the last reason. And it's what I tried to pour into them. It's what I tried to help them with in life and, and make them better people. I love it. I love it. So we started kind of teasing this that a lot of people have heard about you from some of your videos that have gone viral online. Uh, I noticed and, and heard you talk about like, you've been doing that every stop. It just happened to be that Georgia Tech had cameras on you. It's, it's kind of that work that you've done with no cameras. Talk to me where that passion to really just let it rip and share what's on your heart with your guys came from, uh, because I know you've been doing it obviously before those cameras came on, because otherwise it wouldn't look so good when the cameras did flip on, if you hadn't been doing it for years prior. So I'm curious when it started for you and, and why it's so important to building and connecting with your guys. Yeah. So I, when I was at Michigan as an assistant, I would like my biggest hobby was come up with my own quotes and think of ways to connect with kids in a different way with the same kind of concepts that are out there. So like I would write down discipline or I would write down leadership and I would put like a drop down menu of stuff that I could come up with to tie into those words. And that's kind of been my hobby. Like I've, I, I think I've tweeted once a week for the last decade, uh, just something motivational. And, um, but it got, it got carried on to when I got my first head job, I would have, 
like built in stuff on the template that, that I, I write the workout and on the bottom I have announcements, but then I have a box for the message of the day that I just think it's necessary to have at the end of a run, at the end of a lift year round. And I share a message with the, with the guys every day that, you know, the cameras are there or not, it, it's coming out. And, and there, these are things that I've gone through personally. I've gone through as a player. I've gone through as a coach or things that I think are very motivating or they need to hear a different perspective on certain things. And it's actually, it's turned into uh, me writing a book and it's a message of the day for the entire year for coaches, athletes, leaders, whoever, but that's almost done. And I'm very excited about that because I think, uh, I think it's going to help a lot of people in my opinion. I love it. So what, now I'm curious, where does your inspiration come from? Like, where do you look to learn, to listen, to soak up some of this stuff that's inspiring you to, to pay it forward? I, I love, I love challenging myself still personally. Like I'll never give the guys a workout. I haven't done myself because that's the only way I feel like I kind of earn the right to even speak to them. Um, so that, that still drives me. I'm, I'm, up early i'm doing all their stuff and then probably a lot more than they do just so i can feel like i have integrity when i'm coaching them and then um i like i, I really like uh just listening to people i like i like learning from people on podcasts i love you know i look up to a lot of guys like uh andy Frisella, inky johnson you know the, like these are guys that put out consistent value and I just, I love listening to it and I learn a lot. Um, but, I, you know, I said something to the guys the other day. I said, you know what? I Right now I'm 37. I deadlifted 575 the other day. Um, you know, still way up there on a lot of numbers. I'm, I'm just probably as fast as I've ever been. And it's not that I'm reaching my potential right now. It's that I've never let my potential drop. And I think that's where guys get confused. Like it, it's not what you're capable of is can you keep hitting your ceiling day after day after day and not let it drop so far that you got such a steep climb back up. And these guys got all this time right now in college to get ready for pros, but they don't get serious until the last three months that they're training. And it always blew my mind. So I always try to, you know, not just talk, but, but actually be the message, be the example and show them like what a leader is. I love it. Yeah. You can't, you can't prepare right before the opportunity arrives and expect to win it. You got to be in that preparation mode, constantly pushing up against that ceiling. As we wrap up, I would be remiss if I did not ask you, I have heard you briefly talk about the hardest workout you've ever done and being here in DFW and that it was just up in Denton, Texas. I have to have you share what this workout was. Uh, cause I don't know if any of our listeners want to take on the challenge. <laughs> no, I don't recommend this for anyone. Um, all right. So I was head guy in North Texas for one year and on my birthday in September, uh, well, before I got there, if a kid messed up or had a discipline problem, they would have to go run the top of the end zone, what they call it the wing, um, one time, right? It was a steep uh, top of the end zone uh, stadium section that was pretty hard to run. 
So one of those was like punishment for the guys. And that was you know, enough. They, they remembered. And then uh, the guys were messing around with me one day after practice. And they're like, so what are you going to do for your 30th birthday? I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like I need to do something uh, memorable. And they're like, well, why don't you run 30 wings? And I'm like, you know, at first I'm laughing about it. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. Okay. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then uh, <laughs> midnight on my birthday, I go to, you know, I go to bed at eight. Luckily, my family was out of town at a wedding. And I had, my wife would have never gone for that, <laughs> waking up at uh, midnight. But I went to the stadium and I, got, I went to uh, CVS first, got Pedialyte, Ben Gay, uh, you know, I had my iPod charged at that time with my Rocky soundtrack ready to go. Of course. And, you know, five to six minutes of pop, it takes to run one of those wings if you're really running. You know, if, if you're going, it takes about five to six minutes. And so i got to five and i'm like what what am i doing like what <laughs> here like i'm in the middle of the dark by myself and i'm it hurts so bad and then i get to 10 and i'm like all right I'm, let me get some pedialyte 15 my my legs start cramping up like locking up a little bit so I'm, there's one couple of them where i was hopping up oh, God. um but no long story short i got to 30 and no one would have known if i did it except me no one would have cared either because it's one of the dumbest things ever. But it, it really, like, I had one of the best times up there towards the end of thinking about what I'm actually capable of. Like, what I can really, if I really think about it and break things down, I can really do it. And I, I think that's everything. I think everyone gets overwhelmed in life. They, they overthink. They're always looking at the top. They're always worried about how much more they got. When really... It's just that next step. And that's really all you have ever. And I think that's where people get lost. And I, I proved that to myself that without getting overwhelmed and feeling anxiety or stress, I could keep going. And at that point, I, I felt like I became a better coach. I felt like I became a better person up there in that wing that night. So it's the hardest thing. I was sore for about a week straight, but um, that, that's kind of carried me in my career, honestly. I love it. I love how the physical challenges we put ourselves through start to unlock a little bit more mentally of what we're capable of. Coach, man, this has been an absolute blast. Where is the best place for, for people to follow along so we can order your book when it releases? Um, at, at Lewis Carella on Twitter or at Lou Carella on Instagram. Those are the two uh, major platforms that I'm on. Awesome. We'll, we'll link to both and then make sure once we see that announcement of the book, we'll help promote it as well. Coach, I appreciate you coming on the show this week. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it very much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit CompeteEveryday.com.